Welcome to the Bards FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to a conversation with Matt Klepfer. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots, and today is July 4th in the year 2023. And a happy 4th of July to all of you. Hope you're having a good barbecue Good times with family, hopefully lots of good meat. Remember, this is the month and time to eat meat. We're not a bunch of those weenie veggies. And if you want to feel good about yourself, because we do live in that woke-influenced culture, remember, animals eat grass, therefore meat is vegetarian. It's one thing you can proudly say as a pork and beef eater, that you're a true God-driven vegetarian on this Independence Day, which is exactly what we all need to be. All right, Patriots, before we get going tonight, one thing that you need to be very concerned about is your air quality in your home. One of the things I've seldom looked at with the intensity that I do now is the air quality in the house. And so to do that, and one of the best products out there to accomplish that is EnviroCleanse. This is an amazing product, which I have now have one in the studio, and it's just, it works almost 24-7. It's fantastic. And EnviroCleanse is an air purifier that is made in the USA. It was actually selected by the Department of Defense to use in Navy ships to purify the air. It uses a two-step filter system with a hospital-grade HEPA filter. Absolutely fantastic system, and you do notice the difference. It filters out viruses. It filters out allergens. It filters out all of those little biocontaminants that can cause us irritation, especially in this day when they're pumping everything into the skies and telling us that it's nothing. You know, it's just those contrail things, like chemtrail things, that one. So check this out. Go to, head on over and go to EnviroCleanse.com, and you will not be disappointed. Use your promo code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, B-A-R-D-S. There's a link down below every podcast. You can find it there. And when you do that, you're going to get 10% off and free shipping. So it's a fantastic savings, about $150 worth of savings, something you'll really be happy that you purchased for your home and have Again, well-built, solid unit, um, and it's something you will be very happy to have inside your home. Whether you use it in the studio, in the main house, it circulates the air, filters the air constantly. So again, EnviroCleanse.com and use your promo code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S. The link is down below the podcast. So Patriots, tonight we're going to have an, an interview with a, just a great Patriot, Matt Klepfer. He is the one who is going to be hosting Bards Fest 2. And it's it's an amazing space that he has. He has about 30 acres that we're going to be using. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But more importantly, we're going to get into the bigger subject of just walking with God tonight. I thought there wasn't a better interview to have than on 4th of July than talking about the raising up of the mighty men in God, which is exactly what this nation needs and to be reminded of on this day. Now, one thing I just want to remind you of, I said it last night, but I want to make sure and say it again so everybody hears on this day. When we're taking time to celebrate many of those who have sacrificed everything for this nation, we're also celebrating those that represented the movement to achieve independence from England. 
And in this day and age, that's you. And I have to say that very profoundly. We are in a time when we keep looking a lot through a lot of our cultural programming at our military, and they have given great service to this nation. But in this particular war, most of them didn't show up. And that's a sad thing to say, but it's true. So today, the men and women of this time, the common men and women that built this nation are the heroes that we need to be looking at, and that includes you. So take time today just to reflect on how much we've all been through and how much difference we've made and what it took to stand up to true tyranny and what it's going to take to defeat this tyranny, because this is a day that we need to remember. Tyranny was reigning when the Redcoats were on the ground. Now tyranny is reigning with our FBI, our CIA, our NSA, all our three little shitbags out there that wanted to ruin our lives. It's got to end. And on top of that, add to that the pedos and the transgenders that are out here trying to go after the kids. This war is a different war, but it's still just as important. It's literally the Revolution 2.0. And today marks that day of remembrance of the bold leadership in our nation that made the independence from England. So honor that. Give our nation some love. Remember, the people that got us here in this mess are not Americans. I don't care what passport they carry. So let's be cognizant of the fact that we're saving a nation, and we're actively involved, and we are engaged in battle. And That's just the way it has to be. Now, patriots, one last reminder as we go into this. We have a time right now that we are in that is very concerning, and that time is a time when there's going to be a lot of potential shortages of food. Now, one of those things that you don't want to be caught short on is food. And the, the, the stress is coming at us. We have the issues of agriculture being shortcut. We have the food processing plants being burned. We have the push to get everybody to eat some sort of genetically modified garbage that they're going to grow in vertical agriculture buildings. They have the push to make us eat bugs. I, can you imagine a 4th of July where we'd be roasting crickets and you're going to have cricket burgers and probably worm hot dogs or something? I'm not doing it, and you shouldn't either. But in this, also this time with so many natural disasters, which I'm sure are just an accident or coincidence that they always happen in red states, we have to be very aware that these people are using every means possible to break the back of the American patriot and to bring them to their knees. Remember, control the food, control a nation. So that's why we have My Patriot Supply. My Patriot Supply provides the top and the best emergency food, uh, food kits around. So head on over to... Prepare with Bards, preparewithbards.com. Take advantage of the great savings that are going on over there on the four-week and four-month, three-month and four-week food systems. You're not going to be, you're not going to be remiss at having any of them. And everybody should have those types of food, emergency food in their hand. That type of emergency food is critical because it's food that lasts for up to 25 years on the shelf. You don't have to worry about it. If something happens and you have to do an exfil out of your house, you can grab it, throw it in your car and go, and you know that you've got enough to sustain you for a good period of time. So patriots, take advantage of the great savings. They're having a great savings through this week and through this month. Go to preparewithbards.com, preparewithbards.com. You will not be disappointed. Great quality products, great service, just great thing to have in our holdings as we prepare for who knows what. Remember, today they're even saying that they're, that they're going to blow up, the Ukrainians are going to blow up the nuclear power plant today. Who knows? And then they're going to blame it on Russia. These people can't stop. They're, we are literally dealing with twisted psychopaths that just want to keep trying to ruin the day. By the way, and I'll just say this openly, if we go to nuclear war with Russia, the way I look at it, it's probably a win-win because the first place that's going to get incinerated is D.C., and I'm not shedding a tear. 
I'm telling you right now. I'd be like, oh, look at that. The pedophiles just got roasted like hot dogs on a fire. That would be too bad, wouldn't it? All right, patriots. With that said, again, I hope you've had a great day for a 4th of July. I hope you've had time with family, time to eat some great barbecue, maybe have an apple pie, maybe have some ice cream, whatever that is. But now we've got a fantastic interview with Matt Klepfer, just a wholesomeness of what we all need to be looking at. So without further ado, let me introduce to you Matt Klepfer. Well, Patriots, I'm really honored today to have Matt Klepfer on today. He is going to be the host for Bards Fest 2 in his uh, great property down in Fredonia, Kansas. And you've met him recently once before, but this is just a man is as a heart for Jesus as a heart for raising up strong men and is a, a great father and just a great human being and just another great example of what it is truly to walk in the body of Christ. So Matt, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great, man. Thank you so much for having me back. Oh, absolutely. Well, let's kind of start with what everyone's obviously wanting to know. We've got our date set for Bards Fest, the 20th to the 23rd of September and that planning is coming along pretty well. Are you, how are you feeling about it? I feel really good. Uh, our, our, uh, our church fellowship is, is beginning to stir and, uh, just begin praying on things for how we can, as a community can come together and contribute. And, uh, uh, people are, are really excited for how Bard's nation is going to impact this town and this County and, uh, the families here. So we're very excited. I think what you just talked about there is what we just experienced in Yuba City. And really, for me, what every one of these is now about, it's twofold. What, what God put on my heart is campfires to light the fire, literally, in us. And two, to plant the flag, that these become kingdom spaces. When, when we come together like this, and in a virtual or physical sense, planting the flag to establish this as kingdom spaces. I hope that, and that's kind of, I mean, you know, I've talked about that is making that one of the objectives as we establish this. What's your thoughts on that with your property and your community? So just to give Bards Nation a bit of a background for the groundwork we've been doing in the in the community, uh, our heart was really set on sort of reclaiming the home and more specifically in the home, the dinner table, for families to come together, to gather around, uh, for fathers to pray for their families, uh, for mothers and fathers to come together and begin fighting these spiritual battles that are coming at our children at that dinner table. Uh, we believed that that was the most influential piece of infrastructure in the whole house. And bringing the family back to a place um, of, of order, uh, because it's, it's just been strung out for so many decades and multiple generations, uh, we see that busyness has absolutely destroyed the family life and to bring people back to a place of, of calm and easiness, because as you said about the children, uh, these children are getting ready to inherit a very uh, confusing world because they've been watching parents be, be pulled so many different ways. And when we come back about lighting these campfires, we're fellowshipping with, uh, with, fathers in our town uh that are they are sharpening me we are pouring into them and helping us understand our role as dads as as trying to lead our families um to to disciple our own children because here here's what's been on my heart really really heavy 
I told you guys in the first interview that I was a former government school teacher and I was, I loved my job. I was a very influential teacher. The children loved me, but what, what really began to bother me towards the end of my, my time there was parents would come to me at parent teacher conferences and ask me, how's my child doing? And just really confused, you know, I heard, I started to hear little comments from dads and they would say, well, you know, you can't tell your own children anything. They listen to you more than they listen to me. And I was like, what? No, that's not okay. Why, why is that? And I hadn't, I didn't have children of my own yet. My, my first, uh, well, let's see, I did have Camden. She was, uh, really, really young though. Like I couldn't communicate with her verbally yet. And the more I went on to understand that the way our system is set up for, for, I can, and I hear, I've heard this multiple times this summer where, where parents in our town will say, oh, my child's teacher is so-and-so. And I'm like, no, you are their teacher. That teacher at school might be a facilitator or a mentor, but you are the teacher. They're watching every move you make. And the reason why our, our school system is, is falling apart right now is because parents are expecting teachers to be mom and dad. And it's absolutely going to crumble in a really awful way. Um, we, we will never throw enough money at the public school system to make this work. It will never happen. So our heart uh, as, as a fellowship is bringing families back together, these campfires uh, in small gatherings, intimate spaces to discuss the things that God has asked of us as mothers and fathers and to begin taking on that role really aggressively. And so far we've, we've had a, a really uh, good response from our community of, okay, especially the dads of, okay, I do need to do this. That's huge. So talk a little bit about your experience in working so closely in your community and getting men to stand up. And I say this because you're in a rural community, small town, and I think there's a, there is a perception in small town America that those values of strong men have been preserved. And I get the sense in talking to you that you're suffering and dealing with the same sort of challenges that we are across the entire nation, that men have been weakened and it's a variety of issues that have weakened them. I mean, I remember growing up as a kid, you know, late night TV. I remember sleeping in the doorway of my bedroom as a kid, watching my mom and dad watch Home Improvement with Tim Allen. You remember that show? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, Tim Allen, I, I believe he's a believer. Uh, but he was portrayed in that show as kind of the doofus. You know, he was never taken seriously. Patricia Richardson, his wife, was, you know, she was the ruler of the house. And, and that was the way that my parents' generation, they, they said sayings like, happy wife, happy life. And, and the order of what the home was supposed to be in was completely flipped upside down. Uh, mothers were putting the, the love towards their children above the love for their husbands. Husbands were uh, portrayed, you know, all the way almost back to the 60s and 70s, really. But this was, this was uh, Satan's way of subverting uh, the authority that, that uh, men were given 
to lead their families and not with, you know, an authoritative dictatorship type of way, but out of, out of love, because I'll tell you, I've, I've been to fellowships where the men lead. And what I noticed is, uh, for somebody from the movement that is used to seeing, you know, uh, where there, where there are women put in positions, uh, that they're, and they're very gifted at what they do, but men oftentimes do not like to, or feel like they can stand up and say what needs said. And they're not very, we are not extremely emotional creatures, oftentimes very dry. And what some in the church will say, well, well, that was not the Holy Ghost because that was just really dry. That was just, it was just nothing happening there. Boring, you know, and this idea that things have to be overly uh, uh, stimulating with all the lights and the smoke machines and everything going on, just uh, that, that is what some have equated to, oh, this is church. And oftentimes, our families are looking to us men. If you've ever watched a, a great uh, leader of a sports team, his job is to keep the emotions of the team extremely calm in times of high tension, especially at the end of a game. And that is the role of the of the father. When the when the storm was hitting the boats and the disciples were freaking out, and and Jesus was like, "Guys, calm down." <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth, right there. It, and and that is our role when our wives you know they they are they will be pushed to their emotional limits especially by children and it is our role as fathers not to go there with them but to hold the water still in the home to to come at the situation with a still soft voice that our children would come to us as Malachi 4 says that the hearts of the of the children would turn towards the fathers the reason why Ephesians 6 says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger and not children, do not provoke your fathers to anger is because the louder our voice gets as fathers, the less our children have ears to hear. They shut down. They want to know that when they come to dad, they are going to hear that still soft voice that is of reason and of self-control and not like an emotional EKG where it's boop, 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 up and down, you know? Right. Um, that is the foundation of, of what we're asked to do in the home, not just provide and not just procreate, but keep the waters still. Dude, that's really profound. And it's profound on many levels because we start to look at the, the feminizing of the male and what you start to see with that, we see so many emotionally reactive males. We don't see that level piece. I talk a lot about this in terms of my own walk in, in, in combat and so forth. You have to keep a very level head in when things explode. And they can explode. And we're in, as a nation, we're in a war right now. It may not be bullets flying, but it is a vicious war that sets up more ambushes than you could ever imagine possible. And they're doing it every day. And it's that level calmness that families need. And unfortunately, we have too little of because the media hype and the stereotyping and profiling of the modern male has become so effeminate. Are you struggling with, and not struggling, but are you faced with those sorts of challenges of an effeminate male in small rural communities? 
are, are you seeing it in the youth? Are you seeing it in the, in the established men? Or is it, just, is it just more of a weakening of the men? I would say that there's, there's a passiveness. Um, many Christian men are afraid that their words would offend. And I get the heart that that comes from. But to say something uh, with the authority of Scripture in a voice that is perfectly balanced in truth and love, because we can say the truth in a way that just totally throws people to the curb, and that isn't leading other people to Christ. And we can also say it with so much love that it butters it over so much that they never hear the truth. And and that to me is is more of the the fraction of men that we have that they know the truth, but they're 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 really afraid to say it in a way. But listen, my best friend, my best men that I surround myself, they can say stuff that is the truth, and put a little bit "I love you, brother" on it. But those are the ones that I really trust. They're not trying to say things so that I'm not offended. We're, we as men have to get used to going up uh, to each other and saying things that we know could offend, letting the Lord take care of it, but they have to know that, brother, I love you, but you have to hear this right now, okay? Mm-hmm. And praying for both, we must, <laughs> because we, we've seen this split in the denominations where those who cling on to their doctrine— of truth we've got the truth and and you don't see what you don't see are new believers busting down the doors coming in with you know tattoos colored hair and i I heard you say this about a, a it was a couple of months back but you know this uh religiosity speech new believers that don't come to faith that it can speak the lingo mm-hmm. of you know, Christians that have been in the word for multiple decades. Uh, if if we are to speak truth, we can't expect them. I mean, <clears throat> when I came to Christ, I had multiple other things in my life that sin was still tearing me apart. The Holy Spirit was just slicing off one piece at a time, one thing. And in my pursuit of that, uh, my mouth changed over that course of time. The words that I spoke, as my heart grew closer to Christ, my words changed. I remember uh, I, I used to teach uh, drum corps on the road. And man, I I was an ungodly man at that time in my life. And you could tell by my mouth, because you could tell by it, your, your mouth is connected to your heart. Duh. And I remember when I came to Christ and I went around a few of the people that I used to hang around and they're like, man, who are you? You don't even sound like you. And that to me was a great indicator. Well, that's awesome. That's the best compliment I've had in years. (laughs) That as that heart changes, so too the mouth will follow. Uh, We as men have to reacquaint ourselves with those senses as to what is the mouth of a godly man supposed to sound like and to do that we have to hang around each other sharpen each other be in the word pray together and those those groups of godly men gathering are few and far between and very hard to find and we we aim to change that 
You're right about that. I think this is the biggest challenge. And what I talk about often, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, is we have taken the concept of love and it's it's become watered down to some sort of version of hug, kiss, and happiness. Where love itself, I mean, in, when we look at scripture, love itself is sometimes brutal. It's God's way of, and we look at how God handles love, loving our children so much to let them stumble and fall. I mean, that's literally a process to where there has to be a growth within that to make the choices of coming back and truly being appreciative of, of, where, of where we face. The, one of the hardest conversations, kind of to your point earlier, that I've had um, in, in the in not too distant past was a friend of mine, super close, uh, buddy from Afghanistan, and he and I were doing some stuff together, and he stayed with me for about a week and one night he he was he has a drinking problem and one night literally consumed an entire cabinet and i at that point i was not where i am today but i had some i had alcohol and so forth in the cabinet and he consumed it all i mean literally and i had to sit him down and say listen it's the hardest conversation i've ever had but you either this has to stop or you have to leave and 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 that's it and not knowing where that was and it was in a, the, the response was truly just God's hand. And he just, he just, he looked at me and he said, no one has ever done this to me. And thank you because I needed to hear that. I think we're so afraid sometimes of, of where we, what the consequences are. We take away our trust that father will lead that if we will simply lean into him and what we, and how we speak and knowing that we're coming from the place of love and truth. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest thing that right now these these extremely uh, confused people in the LGBT communities are desperately searching for. They're searching for a, a place of belonging. Most of them have extremely deep traumas, and they're they're searching out the churches that extend an open hand. But the bad part is, is those churches feel like they're walking on eggshells to say the truth. Mm-hmm. And I commend them for having the, the courage to, to open the doors to that community. Uh, but I also am praying for them that they stand on the truth and authority given them in Scripture to not, uh, what do you call it, just kind of like take the cul-de-sac around those passages in Scripture of like, guys, look. I think when you're talking about homosexuality or all these other things that are plaguing our children and, and youth uh, today, I wouldn't just keep it there. This is all sexual immorality, period. For heterosexuals and homosexuals of all kind, it defiles the whole body. For pastors that are plagued with pornography, you're in the same boat. It, it's all together. When, when men disconnect, divorce themselves uh, from uh, pornographic or sexually explicit images coming into their eyes, searing the conscience of their heart, therefore diminishing the masculine uh, actions and words that would normally have come to them, there's a great biological study done, and I, I wish I could remember the name of the scientist that did it, but 
it was basically it was the, the massive drop in uh, testosterone as the pornographic industry increased the testosterone decreased in the country and it was you could lay the two graphs right on top of each other i mean we as men have got to protect ourselves and get really really uh, angry and aggressive with this alcohol the same watch how you if you are a father right now uh, who who accepted the lie that you're not a man unless you are sexually stimulated? I guarantee you. Divorce yourself from it. Purify yourself. Purify your actions. Lay a covenant on your your uh, technological devices over your body, and keep yourself pure for sixty days. And watch your masculine tendencies transform themselves. Put your heart in the word and watch how God re uh, regenerates you as a masculine godly man watch your patience be overhauled in the process I love that challenge in fact I'm, I'm going to reiterate that challenge here for any men listening it doesn't matter what your place is whether it's sexuality or other other sins whether it's lustfulness of other of things and material things I think that's an incredible challenge, man. I mean, take 60 days, 60 days. Commit to every time you get that inclination to turning to the word and read into it and rebuke and prevent yourself from going down those things, accepting that there's going to be temptations and you can repent and you can stop it, not letting it go through, but turn yourself into the word and literally in 60 days, watch what God does to your heart. I think that's an incredible process that's a that's in a in a way it's a it's a type of fasting if you will yes but a fasting with the richness of the scripture to to feed us and to nurture us as we go i think it's beautiful have you have you done that i mean locally have have you had taken men through that process i i can give a brief testimony as most of you know my wife is incredibly pregnant and those of you that have have had a pregnant wife, you know that their uh, desire uh, for intimacy is nearly nothing. And that's that's part of biology. That's part of the way God created it. Because what happens during this time is, is when, when this part of pregnancy happens, after the baby is born, uh, they are uh, sort of sexually disconnected. I mean, they're trying to grow another human inside their body, for crying out loud. And as that desire is diminished, the, the testosterone in a man becomes much, much greater. And in doing so, their protective instincts and tendencies rise tremendously. Now, there are obstacles to this because uh, the fuse to which one is angered by becomes much higher. This is an instinct because if something is going to come in and propose a threat to your wife and baby, you want to have a quick fuse to stop it. Mm -hmm. So this is where I have been presented with the challenge to be very in control of my emotions, knowing this, uh, and, and staying incredibly pure with my actions throughout this time, uh, keeping watch over both my children and my wife and my unborn child and my neighbors, um, other men that have, uh, Brother Luke, he's a 
another elder in our fellowship, he, he uh, ran a men's group out of his living room. And at various points, the living room would be packed. He, he'd run out of chairs. He was even, he had a chair in his living room that only had three legs. And we knew it was a good night when we had to bust out the three-legged chair because that was the last <laughs> get out and be like, man, there's so many dudes in here. This is, this is awesome. And we would, we would push each other. And, and we had three high school kids in the, in the fellowship this night that we were going through. Um, I believe we're in second Peter or maybe it was first Peter. I forget which. Anyway, we I, I turned over to one of the, the young men there, and I, I said, how many young men would you say in the high school are affected by uh, pornography? And, you know, of course, high school kids, they they look at each other, and, it you know, there's there, there are these young men had relatives and, and fathers and, and uncles in the room, so they, they were a bit like, ooh, this is kind of touchy. But I said, no, I, I would like to know. And the other one looks at me, he's like, I don't know, like 92% maybe. Ooh, my goodness. (laughs) And the kid sitting beside him looks over and glares at him like, are you kidding me? He goes, okay, 97%. (laughs) Like, wow. I mean, it is is rampant. And if you want to look at the biological tendencies, I I have a picture of my great great uncle ted standing in an apple orchard where my mother and father now live he was about six three he would have been in his late 50s early 60s and in the picture it's black and white you can see his overalls and he's got his sleeves rolled up and this dude was jacked (laughs) i mean cut and and there were several other guys in the picture and you and I looked through all these old photos and I'm like I see no young men with these masculine biological parts today and we have to only wonder well if our our physical bodies are not in the same stature and shape what what is the stature and shape of our spiritual bodies because I can only guarantee you there was some truth spoken in those days we're rugged and as we've become rounded so too has our ability to say truth i i think one followed the other but we must return to this this jagged angular edged physical traded man because so too that will be accompanied by the spiritual side of that too i'm going to add to that but create it through real work not the gym Right. Right. Yes. Right. See, because this is, this is the challenge this morning. It was interesting. I, um, I'm up at the property and I grabbed my, my long range rifle, threw it over my shoulder, walked down, which is, it's a, it's about two thirds of a mile back and forth to the gate and opened the gate. I've got some deliveries coming in today. Right. And just walked. And I, most of the time I'm jumping on the ATV running around and I'm telling you, I came back and I'm like, man, why am I not doing this every day? It's something that simple, but it's the whole presence of walking down and being in command of the property it has nothing to do with the rifle, but it's the whole process of this is my role because you're, you are protector. You are also steward of this land, of your animals. I came across a, a, a den of coyotes the other day and, I, and they're, they're up here and I'm watching them. And there's that balance again, right? We don't have sheep up here, so I don't have to worry about them being 
too much, and the cows are big enough, they'll just stomp the heck out of the coyotes. But it's you're starting, you're seeing the the evolution of life, and you're having to make a decision because I did make a decision whether I was going to kill them or just let them be because they, they are predators. But it's again, you're 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 stewarding the land, and when we step into these roles as men, not going to the gym to get jacked, but you're doing the roles of the actual work, the walking, the building, the the doing, and it's a completely different life. And I think truly there's something very spiritual in that. I think that even in the sense, um, the gardener or the rancher, I mean, it, it, you're still working and getting your hands dirty. And there's, a, there's an issue, the carpenter, the welder, there's something about with our hands as we work and build that we are building in something greater in ourselves, not just physical, but also the, the spiritual. I, and just kind of a flash anecdote of that, I was driving when I did my tour around the country last fall, literally delivering Bibles, there's a scene that stands out of my head, which is, it, it still sits there in, in my vision. As I was coming up into South Lake Tahoe, because I was cutting across South Lake Tahoe into heading up to Yuba City, okay? And, as I, and that's a really steep climb out of the flat valley below, and it's rugged mountains. That's all that, that Sierra range down there, right? And as I'm pulling up one of the turns, and these are just tight switchbacks, I look up, and there is this guy and, and a girl, foresters, for, forestry folks, chainsaws on their shoulder. And this reminded me when I was youth, literally running off the side of the mountain, not, not, not slipping, not sliding, running down the trail wow. to catch into their rig. And, you know, you look at that, and you're like, I used to do that. I mean, I don't do it now, but, I mean, and it's a – you don't think twice about it. You got the saw over your shoulder. You're running down the hill. Those sorts of actions when we're living in the world, you're not out of breath. They weren't out of breath. That was just the way we lived. And and it's easy to fall into these loops of a, of a more convenient life. I say this all the time. Convenience is the death of humanity mm-hmm. to where we have to get back to the more fundamental ways, right? Absolutely. I I did a video a couple of years ago, but I, I said the great dilemma to man right now is deciding uh, which age of technology we have yet to, to live in. And, and the biggest dilemma is having to purposefully decide how much of your life you choose to do the manual way. And the, the man that lived in the age of the log splitter versus the man that lived in the age of the ax, those are two different men, mm-hmm. you know? Oh yeah, they are. Absolutely. Uh, you remember the the scene of John Henry and the the steam powered steel driver. I mean, the age of John Henry produced men that you had to swing that hammer, son, as the the folk song goes. We got to get back to swinging hammers and swinging axes, because if we can't swing an axe, we can't swing. Well, and I don't want to say we can't, but. I will say that our tendency to grab the sword of the spirit and wield that and grab, you know, the spiritual armor that we need, uh, we're not as apt to do that. And I and I say that just from a, a personal testimony that I'm not saying the Amish and the Mennonites have it all figured out, but there is certainly some wisdom that we as other believers can look to their way of life and take from and go, okay, well. They've obviously figured out how to uh, live in such a way 
that they <laughs> they have not budged an inch on their gender roles in their homes granted that you know there are there are other doctrine things that of course we could debate over but in terms of answering the ultimate question well how shall we ought to then live i think there are things that they could teach us going into this age of deception and technology that we as we as believers are going to have to decide rob Dreer wrote it really nicely in uh that one of his new books uh uh man why can i not think of the name of it uh the benedict option i would encourage believers just to just to give a skim of it maybe type it in youtube and see a couple of the debates that he has on there and and the the preface as to why he wrote the book the benedict option but it's a question we as believers are going to have to answer eventually well there was a great quote given to me the other day it just makes me laugh and it's right on the point of the amish if the world is to collapse and technology all shut down, the Amish would never know. <laughs> it's, it's a, I mean, there's something to say for this, right? I mean, literally. It's such a, a great scene of like the tortoise and the hare where, you know, if the Amish are the tortoise and they just kept on living life at whatever place they got off the bus of society barreling down the highway, and the hare goes and forms all these major amazing systems and just keeps doing all the things and it all crashes down. And here come the Amish just creeping down the road behind us looking at, well, how are you guys doing around here? Why is everybody <laughs> so sad? You know, and but they've never had any any of the great amenities that we as Westerners in, in the faith live. Like I just turned on my mini split air conditioner in here because I was like, well, that... Uh, Maybe I should have just sweated and detoxed, you know. Uh, they would never know. You're right. No, they wouldn't. It's pretty amazing. In fact, there's a. It's pretty neat. This like to the to your point of of cooling and and I'll just jump that into like ice boxes. So here's an interesting thing. When my dad grew up in Custer, Montana, um, out in the east, okay, it's 68 miles east of Billings. They used to get their ice in the summer from the local ice house. Mm -hmm. And where that ice came from was from the Yellowstone River in the wintertime. And this is something we don't even, we can't even process these days. They would go out and when they would cut the slabs of ice and they would bring it into the warehouse and bury it deep under sawdust. And so in the summer, when it was hot, you would go in and they would unbury the ice still there and then they would cut off slabs and you would put that in your ice box i i just was talking to somebody the other day that was up with the amish and they're still doing the same thing we we don't have any concept of this i know you and i've talked a lot about this in different ways as we've got to know each other over the last couple months and that's been part of my focus as we've been building out both what i have the urban homestead and the the other property is to, and it's a difficult one because we're having to balance, and I'm, I'm going to bring us to the butchery. We're balancing having to have the modern tools, and yet if we really look back at things, it's so much simpler on the old way. So I, I want to go right into this a little bit into the butchery because you, you had encouraged me the other day, and I did it. I went back and did research on what a butchery looks like in the 1800s, and in, I went and found a drawing on Etsy it had all of the drawn out, all of the pieces and parts of an 1800s butchery. 
And I sat back and looked at this and I'm like, what has happened to us? So here's a modern day butchery. And you know the prices as well as I do in between you get your meat saws and you get your your slicers and you get all this mechanical equipment and you're easily going to spend fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 or more on this new hygienic equipment. As I started doing this whole piece of the old butchery, I founded Lehman's and tracked it through there. They have an, a, a hand meat grinder that's made of cast iron that'll do five pounds a minute. It's like $500. And you can even attach it to a, to a power motor if you need to, right? And then you start to look at the basic tools and it was a cleaver and it was two saws and it was a, a brining vat and it was a sausage squeezer and some sort of manual treadle uh, meat slicer, which is, that was kind of in these pieces, right? That whole accumulated cost is somewhere around two or $3,000. The biggest difference is one re- is automated and one requires, back to what we're saying, that man that's built like a wedge because you're going to have to have the strength to do it. And when I was doing my early training with butchery, I was learning from somebody who had learned German style. So we were using I was wanting to learn how to cut with just the cleaver. And that's, it's, a, it's not hard, but you have to have some force. I had the best cleaver I could find, which was made in Germany for that purpose, but it had kind of a malachite handle to it. I literally struck that twice and broke that handle right in my hand. Even though it was a full tang thing, the handle broke. So I started searching around, and here's the crazy part is nobody makes cleavers anymore, modern to handle that sort of impact. So you have to literally go back and find one made in 1930, 1910, 1800. You're living that way on the farm more and more. I mean, you're having to find that balance of what you're doing between the old and the new. And I think it's a challenge. It's a huge challenge. I mean, I could, I could get a gym membership, you know, but instead I have, I have a wood furnace and I, I have to chop firewood. Uh, I choose to use a chainsaw instead of a, a, a handsaw. Uh, but there, there are numerous things that I do on my farm on a daily basis that, you know, I have to choose to leave my ATV in the garage and walk down to the pigs. As you said, I have to, you know, and I've told my children this, uh, where they, uh, if we have a th- this morning, we harvested a couple bushel baskets of beets and we're supposed to have a huge heat wave today. And the wind was coming up and, and, uh, my daughter and my two boys, we was out in the garden there. And, uh, I said, well, when it gets hot, uh, do you know what your great grandma and grandpa used to do? And they go, what? And they go, they used to sing. And there'd be sweat boiling down their face and they'd be just be out there singing just as happy as could be. Uh, and that was what we started to do. We just start. we, we love to sing old hymns, old gospel style hymns, you know, and when you are in physical, uh, just laborious activity, it might be mindless. You might be swinging an ax, not having to exert very much, uh, uh, mental bandwidth. But the act of doing that and singing a hymn is an act of worship more intimate, I could say, than being in a thermostat-controlled gymnasium auditorium with the lights and the smoke and everything going. But the act of worship of you tending to the earth, doing as your role that is required of you, with your kids by your side, it's almost hard not to let tears roll down your face. It's It's... It puts you to a place of having to look to God to depend on him for the things that you desire 
to have because the one thing that technology has stolen from us is we depend on it rather than God. It, 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 it mutes us. Um, it dilutes us to a point where, uh, oh, I'll just go to the store and buy one. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll just get a new one. And this throwaway lifestyle that we live now, so many people just because of the, the inability to choose things to do the manual way, our senses are so seared and diluted to being at a place where, God, I need you right now for one more swing of this axe. You pick it up and, you know, that is, it's a place I try to force myself. I have to force myself because I can live a life of easy convenience if I so choose. But you have to, in today's world, and our grandparents didn't have this choice. They had to, to live. Yep. But today we have to choose to leave the AC off, to roll the windows down. Uh, that's what I want to encourage people. You know, you come here to Bard's Fest, we don't know what the weather is going to throw at us. We may have to choose to just sit outside and fellowship with each other, break bread and salt it with our sweat. And you know what? It will be an intimate gathering that we will tell the stories for the rest of our lives. Do you remember back in back in 23 when we was down uh, down in the, the lower hill there in, in Kansas, southeast Kansas, and, and man, we was just praising the Lord. And, 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 and the wind was blowing and it was hot, but man, the Holy Spirit was there and the children were singing and arms were raised high to our Lord. I mean, that's a story that every night before my kids go to bed, the last thing they ask me is, Dad, will you tell me another story? Awesome. That's awesome. If we don't have stories to tell of our, our ancestors and, and their faith and their trials that they had, what are we passing down? That's dead on, man. I want to close with this one perspective and just have you comment on it because uh, it feeds right into this. And it's the concept of stewardship. We are in a, and you hit it, we are in a disposable world, a disposable society. And when we talk about stewardship, stewardship by definition is, it's not about taking, it's about nurturing and growing and making greater. If we steward a herd, we're not trying to keep the herd as is or less, but we're trying to make it stronger, make the genetics better. How do you see that in this walk that we are now trying to put people back on, the raising up of men, the rebuilding of families in that concept of stewardship? Well, the, this is the great request that was asked of us in Genesis 2. Uh, after creation, these things were put on this earth, what it says for us to manage, for us to steward. And how we choose to manage these things, uh, most uh, in the agricultural community today are managing the land the same way they manage their families. And neither one is producing fruit. The landscape is barren, and so too is the hands of the children. And we must manage uh, our lives and time today with the priorities God has set before us in this walk that we take, taking our families right alongside us. Uh, my brother-in-law, he is, he is a wonderful 
well-disciplined man who is a great manager. He manages his time, his money, his his time with his children and his job so well. I watch him so closely because he's 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 just doing an, an incredible job. And I I'm more of a people person, and I will often uh, I will cave and compromise things for a conversation over. Sometimes I'll let it, you know, my house may not be as clean because I'm out here talking with a neighbor in the driveway, you know, <laughs> it's, it's all about, it's a juggle of priority. Uh, I could spend that time out earning money so that I could have a nicer vehicle, but I, I choose, I get this from my father who's, he, he would stand there in fellowship with anybody for any amount of time, but other things must suffer, suffer because of that. And in this management of our life and our time and our money and our, our fellowship and our time in church, we are asked right now to reprioritize this list because if we do not, we will, we, you will lose everything that you don't manage as asked of us in scripture. If we don't manage what's asked of us as the body of Christ in the church meaning there are multiple ministries happening in the body, not just the pastor preaching on Sunday, but there are preachers and there are teachers and there are evangelists and there are prayer warriors and there are, there are people that love to play mute. All of those parts of the body must work correctly because if you do not have that, if you have a giant megachurch, one preaching to many, but those in the rest of the body are not exercising their get their spiritual gifts given to them their ministry that they're supposed to happen that's supposed to happen with their neighbor do you have a functioning church body that's a question we all need to ask ourselves and it comes from the reprioritization of how we choose to gather as a church uh and it unfortunately may have to go back to the old-fashioned manual way to find out man, there are so many strengths in this church I had no idea about that were just going unused and unsharpened and, and those ministries were never tra being transferred, those testimonies were never being heard. But it's going to mean a massive change for these, you know, different churches that are operating in the way that they are. I just want to encourage people that if 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 you really truly want to seek and see things through a different lens, through what God is asking of us at this point in time, uh, just be really careful not to say, well, this is church and this is school. This is the way things are supposed to be. Because I'm here to tell you, when I quit teaching school, God changed the lens through which I saw the world. When I quit uh, doing church in the same way, God changed that lens and allowed me to see different ministries and different strengths in other believers. And he will, he will give you the, the eyes to see and the ears to hear, but we have to be willing to see things differently, seeing other believers differently. It, it's, it, I don't, I don't know a, a different way to explain it, but I just, I think you've done it well. I think it's exactly it. I mean, I just, we have to, if we, when we become rigid and fixed, we put God in a box and and our idea ultimately is as we lean into him to see the world through his eyes it's uh it's a pretty amazing tapestry he's created and like you say all the pieces there that are in play i talk about this so much is this is an amazing army 
when you look at a at an army of everybody thinks in terms of an army in terms of being the quarterback or the guy on point, right? But you don't have the guy on point and you don't have the quarterback without this massive back end that sometimes goes unrecognized. Yep. But a great a great team, a great army is built by those as much by those on the front as those in the back. And everybody's doing their job, right? Everybody. Everybody. And that's, that's what the most amazing thing is. Well, Matt, we always close with a prayer, and I'd, I'd like to offer you the opportunity to do the prayer today. Oh, man, I'm honored. Father, we come before you today with uh, hearts that we so desire to see through, see this world through your lens and to hear it with your ears. I just pray over Bard's Nation, Father, that uh, as, as the fathers, that you give us uh, the wise words to speak truth and love accompanied with your Holy Spirit and that, that perfect ratio, that hearts would be changed, that, that the hearts of our children would be turned back to their fathers and the hearts of fathers turned to their children. Uh, in the moments of tension in our homes, that that the, the fathers would just lead with incredible poise and, and, and self-control, that our children would uh, desire to look up to us as those role models and, and not all these, these worldly sports figures and athletes that they see the role of father as incredible position. And the young ladies see the role as mother as such a high place. These are the, the two institutions you have placed before us, father. May we just take them on full force, pray over our towns and our communities and these churches that are involved here in Bards nation uh, that we contribute however we are called with our gifts, not that we might be noticed, but just that we may use our gifts to serve you, Lord. And uh, I pray over this country, over the leaders that have been led astray, distance far from truth, uh, that we stand our ground and say, we will not bow down. We will not bow down because this is our God. Give us strength to do that, no matter the state we live. Help us not to seek to an easier place, but to stand our ground where we live now. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thank you, man. Awesome conversation, as always. Looking very much forward to getting out to Bars Fest in September and hopefully be able to swing in there earlier than that just to break bread yeah man. that'd be good so that, all right. that we will do <laughs> blessings to your family and to your newborn incoming yes my brother just had his baby this morning and uh everything's doing well so now my my wife i can tell you has baby delivery fever so <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna make for some interesting weeks ahead so. uh-huh yep well bless you we'll talk to you soon and just have a great day all right love you brother appreciate you Love you too, man. God bless. Yep. Okay. Bye. Well, Patriots, that was Matt Klepfer, obviously the the person who has invited us to have Barts of Fest 2 at his property in September. Those dates are September 20th to September 23rd, and we'll be getting tickets on sale at the end of July, beginning of August. So don't worry about that. It'll be the same format um, with donation only. We're doing some huge website updates that are coming. You'll hear all about that soon. So I hope everybody has had a wonderful Independence Day celebration, a reminder of what we're 
all about as a nation, for those that are in other parts of the world. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you're celebrating Independence Day with us because this is no longer an American fight. This is a world fight, and we're all in this together. So keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you this evening for Fishers of Men. Until then or until the next time, God bless and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable, and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs, and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who moved forward and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. thousands of years to show its face.
It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples. It has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. We push. We climb. We never give in. We become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words, in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath.